Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. This is a fascinating statement. And to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Beersheba, from Dan to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Saints, let's stop right there. Give me your attention. The Bible tells us that David in verse 1 grew stronger and stronger and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Now there's a growing sense that David is going, is David is, 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 is God's appointed king. Although there's tension between Judah and the northern tribes. So verse 1 tells us there's this constant war until the proper king is acknowledged. But at the same time, um, that's true in our own lives. Actually, when you think about it, there's this constant war until the proper king is acknowledged. Y'all pick that up. That's true of us, isn't it? Thank you, Lord. That's true of us, isn't it? It's this constant war inside of us until the proper king is acknowledged. Who's the proper king? Jesus. And I don't know about you, but before I became a Christian, there was a war going on inside. There really was a war going on. You know that, you know, how many times have you heard the spirit of God calling you and you resist? Or maybe you're here tonight and you hear God knocking on the door of your heart. Maybe something in worship, God's knocking on the door of your heart and you resist. And God, you go to church and the preacher gives altar call. Hey, would there be one? Would there be one? And you just sit there. And then you come back to church. Would there be one? And you sit there. Don't you realize God's showing you grace every time that preacher says, would there be one? Because if you don't know Jesus, guess what? You're the one. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I think I'm on to something. You, you're the one. If you don't know the Lord. And I've always been baffled by this, actually. Why do people come to church week after week, month after month, year after year, and they don't know the Lord? And they don't intend on getting to know the Lord. Why do you do that? Don't get me wrong. I, I like the church full. Who doesn't? I'm happy to see everybody. I'm happy you're here. But if you're just coming because you're like clocking in your time, you're wasting your time and you're wasting God's time and you're doing yourself a terrible, terrible injustice. Because every time you hear the word of God, it's ain't in my notes. Every time you hear the word of God, you are acquiring more accountability. So in that day, 
that you stand before the Lord. This is the only hope. This is the wonderful hope that we have about Miss Faye. We know. I know. Honestly, if I had to put money, I'm not one, I'm not a betting preacher. I'm not gambling. Y'all calm down, all right? But if I had to put money on where Miss Faye is, honestly, I'd put everything I own on the fact that that woman is looking at Jesus healthy and whole and happy and happy and happy and happy. She said to me, she just kept saying to me, she's laying there. She can hardly talk. She can hardly talk. And she's, and she's and I got her by the hand, and she's just, she's laying there, she's looking at me, and she goes, I'm happy. I, didn't she? She said, I'm happy. She said, I'm happy. I'm happy. And I said, I'm not happy. <laughs> didn't I? I'm not happy. She said, I'm happy. Because in the presence of the Lord is health and healing and wholeness and no more sickness and no more sorrow and no more tears. And every time you come to church and and you hear these things, then then someday when, not if, but when, because everybody's got to go that way. You know, we have to reconcile that. And that's hard for me to reconcile. I'm the preacher. Don't get me wrong. It's hard for me to reconcile it. We all have to die. Don't you, do y'all not get this? Everybody has to die. Whether cancer takes you or you get hit by a bus or life, old age, you just stop breathing. Your heart stops. I told you I want to die in the pulpit. I really do. I know it would be really creepy for y'all. It would be really, really creepy if while I'm preaching, all of a sudden I just go. And I stand and y'all be like, is he, he sure is tired. He's tired. Man, he's, he needs to get some rest. And I'll stay here for like five minutes. Somebody come up and go, he dead. <laughs> he tired. He's forever asleep. <laughs> we all got to go sometime. And yes, it is hard when people leave. I, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember death being so hard for me. Matter of fact, it never has been. Never. I've honestly buried a lot of people. Unfortunately, I have buried a lot of people. And I don't ever remember feeling this way. Empty vacant like something Sunday third service something will be missing we all have to go that way someday and when you go that way and when you stand before God if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior as your king then 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 he will ask you uh, you know, what have you done with all of this knowledge that you've accumulated week after week, Sunday after Sunday, year after year, you've gone to church, but you've never received the as king. What have you done with all that knowledge? Because with knowledge comes accountability. Hmm? With knowledge comes accountability. So you know all this stuff about the Bible. Some of y'all can quote the Bible better than I can. 
I know people who don't know the Lord can quote the Bible, but not can. That's interesting, isn't it? They know. That's why you got to live right, because the world, they know when, you, when you're doing something wrong, people that don't know Jesus, they be going, you know, you know that's wrong according to uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. <laughs> don't you know that's wrong? You be like, whoa, man, I ain't know you knew the Bible like that. I thought, of, I thought if you picked up a Bible, it would burn in your hand. I didn't even know you knew the Bible like that. How you know the Bible like that? Don't, don't, just because I'm not a Christian don't mean I don't read it. Somebody's told me that before. Just because I'm not a Christian don't mean I don't read it. There's accountability in knowing the word of God. That's why I would tell you, if you don't know Jesus and you don't intend on coming to know Jesus, stop coming to church. Now, when you go hear a preacher tell you that, you're not. But I love you. And I, I, don't, I don't want you to be held accountable as you will be for the knowledge that you have and the knowledge that you didn't respond to. So the end of this is come to Jesus. Get to know Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. He sent his son to die for you. For God so loved the world. We quote it. Do you know? We quote it. Do you know it? Do you know it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, even when the world didn't love him. Everybody has to come to terms with this. Everybody has to get to that place where you stop with that war that happens within. There's a constant war between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom until the proper king is acknowledged. Well, in verses 2 through 5, let's get back to it. In verses 2 through 5, man, where does the time go? In verses 2 through 5, gives us a sketch of David in Hebron. We just read it. David has six wives and six sons. Sounds like trouble. Say amen. David is in Hebron. His firstborn son is uh, Ammon. Ammon means faithful. Now, in Jewish custom, they would name, I've told you this, they would name their children after a marked event. Not sure why David named Ammon. Ammon, uh, maybe David is at a place of rest and feeling, uh, thinking about just how God, how faithful God is. I'm not sure, but he named his first son Ammon. Although Ammon means faithful, uh, this is the same Ammon who raped his half-sister and was killed by his half-brother. The second son is Chilab, or Chiliab, Chilbiab, something like that, by Abigail, widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Chiliab has the idea of reflection from the father. That name carries the idea of reflection from the father. The only other place that he is mentioned in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, pardon me, 1 Chronicles chapter 3, uh, many Bible scholars believe that he died young, and that's why we don't know that much about him. And we don't hear that much about him in the scriptures. Um, nothing comes of him. The third son is Absalom. Absalom means father of peace. Um, not sure why he named him um, Absalom. 
father of peace. His life was anything but peaceful. He murdered his half-brother and led a civil war against his father, David, and tried to kill David. You know that. Now, let me tell you a little something interesting about Absalom. Absalom is the son of, according to the scriptures, Micah. In 1 Samuel chapter 27, you can read it in your own time, but David, get this, had returned from Ziklag, and he went on a rage and, or a raid, and he came to the Gergesites. And he didn't leave a man, woman, child alive in this area. When David raided these people, he obviously took a wife and he killed the king. He, had, he took a wife, this woman, Micah, he took her and killed the king. And he had the son, Absalom, with her. And Absalom leads a revolt against his father, uh, as I mentioned, Interesting. Absalom is the one who, um, you know, tried to win the people over to himself. And he would tell, you know, the people they would come to see David for various problems. And Absalom would say, uh, David's too busy. You know, he's come talk to me. He's trying to, you know, overthrow the kingdom. Come talk to me. You know, you call David. He never picks up. Come talk to me. I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say. And, and think about this. If David had never raided the Gergesites, and met this woman, he would have never had Absalom. And that trial in his life, when your own son rises up against you, that in my book is a trial. That would have never happened. The fourth son is Adonijah. He tried to, he tried to take the throne when David died. The fifth is um, Sephatia. Sephatia. Yeah, there you go. Sephatia. It means, his name means Jehovah is judge. The sixth Ithrium means exalted of the people. We assume that Sephatia and Ithrium died young or ungodly, and we don't hear that much about them. Now, in First Chronicles chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, it tells us that David comes to Jerusalem and he takes, get this, more wives and more concubines. David had, uh, had 11 more children. So as we know it, from the six here and the 11 from First, Corin First Chronicles, that keeps saying Corinthians, First Chronicles, that's like 17 kids. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of wives. And that's a lot of trouble. Amen. Some of y'all like y'all. Some of y'all men going, "Amen," because your wife's sitting next to you. I get it. Okay. If this was the men's ministry, oh y'all be, y'all say amen. 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 I said amen. I said they'd be getting up. Yeah, amen. Preach, preacher. Amen. Amen. <laughs> your wife's sitting there. Amen. David, he knows that he's doing something against Scripture. Deuteronomy 17, 17, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. Listen, do I need to tell you, just because the Bible records something doesn't mean we ought to do it. And, and, and maybe David is thinking, I'm not multiplying, I'm just adding. <laughs> I don't know. 
David is adding wife upon wife upon wife, and he's not satisfied. The Bible is clear. Listen, one man to be married to one woman. Somebody say amen. And in that day, check this out. In that day, it was common to have more than one wife. And actually, in some parts of the world, it's still common to have more than one wife. Sometimes when I'm a few... Many times, actually, when I was in in India and I would speak, I'd open my first comments to people were um, my name and I'm from the U.S. And, uh, you know, bring you greetings from Calvary Chapel, Carrie. I have, um, you know, uh, three children or two children and four grandchildren. I'd go through all of that. And then I'd say, and I have one wife. And they would crack up. I mean, they would just crack up, rolling in the aisles, because in India, um, that's funny. I mean, y'all don't think it's funny, but they, they, you know, that's funny because they have, nobody talks about it. But pretty much many men, even today, still have more than one wife. In the Middle East, some of the Arabs, they have this saying that, that, that even today that says, one wife is too much, 10 is not enough. Now, I don't know what that means, but I thought I'd pass it on. I think about (laughs) David has like 17 wives, maybe upwards 19 wives. Solomon, you know, had 700 wives and how many concubines? 300, you know that. And along with 700 wives comes 700 mother-in-laws. Now, we know that didn't work. You know, y'all know I like this, this one little story. Let me tell it to you because it's not my only chance for to talk about mothers-in-law. Listen, a man and his wife and mother-in-law went on a holiday to Jerusalem. <laughs> Stop. You, know the, you already know the punchline. Stop. While they were there, the mother-in-law, because some, some people don't know it. Just, just give it a break. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. Well, the undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for $5,000, or you can bury her right here in the Holy Land for $150. Well, the man thought about it, and then he told him that he would just have her shipped home. Well, the undertaker said, why would you spend $5,000 and ship your mother-in-law home when you could bury her right here for $150? And the man said, a long time ago, a man died here, and he was buried here, and three days later, he rose from the dead, and I don't want to take any chances. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> that's my favorite mother-in-law joke. So we can see, listen, from David's life and the outcome of his children that having multiple wives or even multiple husbands is not a good thing. Somebody say Amen. And it's unfortunate because we live in a culture where two or three marriages is common. Today is common. It's rare now that someone's been married one time. Isn't it? It's pretty rare. And please listen, by no means are my following comments intended to be uh, condemning. Uh, The Bible says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. So really, this is no condemnation. I just simply want to point out what the scriptures point out. And the Bible tells us that divorce is not good. The Bible tells us that divorce, or we learn from divorce, that divorce causes dysfunction within the family. I've told you that God has, does, and always will hate divorce. And don't get it twisted. God doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce. 
because he knows what it will do to you, your family, and your friends. And I get it. It's politically correct to say that, you know, the kids will bounce back or they'll be okay or we just have to do a great job at co-parent. I heard this one scenario where these two people, I think these two people in Hollywood, I forget their names, but they're co-parenting, they're divorced, co-parenting and living in the same house. Huh? You know, you got too much money. When you do something like that's just crazy. That's just crazy. How do you what? You're divorced. If you're divorced, then bye. Don't get me wrong. Don't don't get work it out. I'm not saying get a divorce, but I'm saying this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. If you're you're co-parenting, and, and nowadays it's politically correct to say, oh, well, we just need to be really good co-parents. We have to work it out and be good co-parents. No, you don't have to work it out and be good co-parents. You have to work it out and be married. That's what the Bible says. Oh, two people, one, two. You have to work it out and be married. No, the kids don't bounce back as you might think they would. And if they do bounce back, they don't bounce back like you think. This Harvard medical doctor said this. The major cause of emotional problems and destruction to the American family is by far divorce. The trend toward quick and easy divorce and an ever-increasing divorce rate subjects children to physical and emotional pain. If this trend does not reverse the quality of family life, will continue to deteriorate, producing a society with a higher incident of mental illness than ever before. Look, you talk about divorce and dysfunction. Look at David's kids. Did they bounce back? No. Look at their behavior. In David's family, there was murder and incest and rape and rebellion. There was always a problem. Why? Because you paid the priest paying the price for sin through his children. And if you already got a divorce, listen, God is gracious. Somebody say amen. And God is merciful. Somebody say amen. And God is good. Somebody say amen. And God will see you through difficult times, but don't ever make that mistake again. David had these boys in Hebron. Let me tell you a little bit about Hebron. And then I think I'm going to stop because it's probably a good place to stop. All right. So y'all can get out of school early tonight. All right. David, tell you a little bit about Hebron. He had these boys in Hebron. Hebron was very, very important in Jewish history. Hebron means, if you haven't written it down, write this down. Hebron means communion or union or to couple together. Hebron is entered by faith. Abraham went to Hebron after separating from Lot. Abraham lived in a tent in Mamre, which is in Hebron. And he built an altar there, Genesis chapter 13. Sarah was buried in Kirjath Arba, which is also in Hebron. Joshua and Caleb and the 10 spies went up through the south and came to Hebron, Numbers chapter 13, verse 22. Joshua chapter 14, verse 13 through 15. Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Hebron used to be named Kerjath Arba. Arba, A-R-B-A, Arba, was the greatest Anakim. Arba was the greatest Anakim. Now, you remember the Anakims, they were the giants in the land of Canaan when the people came into the land. They were called Anakins. 
The Anakins were these, again, race of giants in the land of Canaan. Hebron was a city of refuge. This is very important, especially later on in our text. Hebron is a city of refuge. It was also a walled city. It was a safe place. Hebron speaks of communion that we have with Christ. Our text tells us that David had many sons in Hebron. Hebron, again, Hebron is not necessarily a place, but it's kind of a state of mind and a state of heart because it means communion. It means union. It means coupled together. And I think that we as Christians, many of us, could use a trip to Hebron, right? Use a trip to Hebron, that place of communion and union and fellowship with God. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.